Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty, so you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash I do. Hi guys, 
Hope you are having a wonderful day wherever you are listening to this podcast. I'm excited to have you here and share with you my conversation with Dr. Enrico Nolatti. And Enrico and I, today, we talk about how to survive domesticity. If you're listening and you have kids or if you're planning to have kids, there is a ton of value in today's conversation where we talk about what happens when you have kids, why a lot of marriages and couples suffer in the relationship when when kids come into the picture and how to combat that. And then we also talk about conversational narcissism. So even if you don't have kids, you're going to want to listen to that. You can skip forward to the mid part of the episode and find a lot of value in what to do if your partner or maybe a friend or a colleague always seems to revert to themselves when you're in conversation. And lastly, we finish up with the importance of attention and recognizing your partner's bids for connection when they are trying to reach for you and how to recognize that and connect on a deeper level. And Enrico is a clinical psychologist based in Pasadena, California, and affiliate professor of psychology at Seattle University. He has extensive knowledge in helping people flourish in their relationships. You got to check out his book, Flourishing Love, A Secular Guide to Lasting Intimate Relationships. I really enjoyed this conversation with Enrico. I know you guys will too. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy today's show. Hi, Enrico. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. I'm glad to participate. In the pre-show, we talked about some of the topics that I was excited to go over today. We're going to cover a few kind of different things, but some things that we haven't focused on uh, necessarily recently in a podcast episode. And I thought a great one for us to start with would be surviving domesticity. And we're going to talk about what that is. And I think a, a cool place to start would be you sharing why you like talking about this because you put that as a topic suggestion. So obviously it's something you're encountering. You think it's important to talk about. Yeah. I mean, one of the most robust findings in social science research is that after the birth of a child, marital satisfaction plummets for about two thirds of couples. And that's certainly uh, a um reflects my own personal experience as a married guy and a father. And I'm also a psychologist and see tons of clients, couples, and that that is a, sort of a common complaint that sort of sex drops off the map, arguments uh, uh, increase, you sort of become expert co-parents, and oddly, in the process, drift apart, not necessarily because you're falling out of love. I would say that it's just a sort of a unavoidable kind of alienation creep that just descends upon a marriage. And if couples aren't aware of that, that it is a normative, expectable process, and really uh, 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 double down on the need to like put, put time aside for each other, with each other, 
Yeah. Something that is actually normal can be seen as abnormal and couples can all of a sudden feel like they're incompatible when in actual fact, it's just a kind of an adaptation to, to parenthood that really needs to be faced and in uh, and, and ways that I cover in my book. Um, and I can talk more about that if you want, Chase. I mean, I can give you very practical advice and ideas about how to adjust to that. Yes, I want to get into how we can combat this. But first, I want to share just a little personal story that it was two years after Sarah and I's daughter was born, Stella, and we realized we hadn't had a night away from her Mm -hmm. together. I had been away, you know, traveling for some things for two years, you know, and so that that word that you used of creep and it surprised the heck out of us. And we were like, yeah, we need to do it. And it was very rejuvenating to have that time away from her and and more so not away from her, but more so to connect as a couple and not as parents. And uh, it's such an interesting thing too. Like you assume a new identity, you become now you're not just a, a husband and you're not just a wife. Now you're a mother and a father. And it almost out of necessity supersedes the husband and wife thing for a for a period of time. So it's it's such an interesting thing to notice it. And I wanna I wanna hear from you how we can combat that and make sure we we keep a healthy balance. Yeah, I think for out of the gate, it's important to once again kind of normalize that so that couples don't go to a place of panic when they experience it. I mean, I remember in the early days, you know, like I, it was two years old that you're daughter was before i think it was more in the in the realm of about like five years when i for my wife and i to get away and i remember then i mean just so like looking at each other like you know like we were literally strangers and a kind of an awkwardness and a fumbling around trying to find things to talk about but i have to say i mean that i think couples need extended time so that they can get beyond that awkwardness. So if it's just these short date nights, two, three hours here and there, a lot of couples can't get beyond just the expectable awkwardness. And so I would advise like, you know, when couples start to kind of really prioritize their marriage and try to step back from parenthood, that that they allocate adequate time and expect that it's going to be awkward And that at a certain point, you know what, if they had a good relationship to start out with, they'll rediscover that with enough time and enough intentionality. And don't panic. Just kind of wait it out and bring your best self to the interaction. What you said about normalizing it is so important. And, And to me, that's a close cousin to having awareness around it, like this conversation. And so if you know, it's like, it's okay to be a mother, to be a father and let that supersede the relationship. Obviously for the first weeks, month, the child's there, you're sharing love, make space if you can, but having that awareness that it'll creep up on you. And next thing you know, it's five years, you know, so. There's another form of love, Chase. I think that it's important to recognize that we, 
we find, a, and it's a kind of a non-narcissistic form of love, that we love our partner for the kind of mother they are, that we, we love our partner for the kind of father they are, and that you derive vicarious satisfaction from that. And, 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 and in order to have that psychological experience, I think you have to, you have to kind of contain your own needs as a person and, be, and have a psychological capacity to say, wow, I love this woman who is such a good mother to my child. I love this, you know, man who's, who, who's a father to my ch- t- child and to derive some kind of loving satisfaction from that experience. I th- and it's, it's a mature psychological experience, but I think that it is, in my estimation, it's one aspect of what I call flourishing love, you know, in my book, Flourishing Love. Yeah. That's a beautiful perspective. I want to ask you, let's say we have someone listening and they are pregnant, they're expecting their first child or second or third, whatever, but certainly the first is everything's new or they want kids in the future. What are some actionable things that they can they can think about to have in place mm-hmm. rather than playing catch up once, you know, they're like, hey, it's been a year. Once again, Chase, go into it with that sentimentalized notion. Don't be massively discouraged from what everybody's telling you, like it will desex your marriage, you'll have shitty sleep, you will, you know, that 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 your partner who was once your erotic person that you turn to will will be a boring roommate, you know, like just expect all of that, but but realize that that it is a phase in a good marriage, it is a phase that you will go through. And so, so go into it with your eyes wide open. Start to realize that you will probably now be entering a phase of your marriage where sex is going to be less spontaneous and kind of has to be planned. Where, uh, and this is, gonna, I'm making these gross generalizations right now, but they're more true than untrue, I think, that, that, that the female partner will start, their sexuality will start to be more responsive. In other words, they may not have an arousal process like like their male partner has, at least in a heterosexual marriage, where they'll be turned on and want to have sex. They're more likely to be turned on if they feel like they're being talked to nicely. If there's an equitable household chore domestic upkeep arrangement, uh, be nice to me and, I, and that'll turn me on. Uh, 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 I may get aroused in the act of having sex, not not as a prelude to wanting sex. That's all normal. A lot of couples kind of, uh, the wheels come off because they cling to the desire for a spontaneous sex life like they once had, where there's this charge, this erotic charge that they bring to each other spontaneously out of nowhere that's more rare than common and and that you kind of have to adapt to that and you kind of have to make make the best out of it and that you have to be militant around spending time just something as simple as allocating time together and making that sort of a well-oiled machine a ritualized part of one's day 
Maybe it's later in the evening when the kid or kids are put to bed. And that, that becomes sacred time where you just, you know what, maybe it's cocktail hour later in the day. Maybe it's watching the news or a favorite show together. But something that you do in common where there's a mutual feeling of reconnecting and making that, ritualizing that. Um, and then one last point, and then I'll be quiet. Uh, you know, not everybody's close to their extended family. Um, uh, it, it, it takes a village. And this is where, you know, in my book, I look at kind of a secular versus a religious perspective on marriage. And I'm a big believer and, you know, like that one of the problems with a moral religious framework for marriage is that there's this big focus on the family and not reaching out into the community to 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 kind of get support, family supports. Right. I actually think the reverse needs to be true, that it takes a village and that we need to cultivate uh, a trust, trusted, trustworthy other adults that are quasi parents. You know, and and that could be somebody in the family, or that could be a friend, or that could be a coach, or that could be a preschool teacher or a current teacher that you're hiring on the side to look after your kid. So from day one, I would advise new parents to target adults that they cultivate relationships with who who, who can give that who can be uh, a substitute parents that can, st- you know, step in to take care of their kids to free up the adults to, to actually have a marriage or a marital marital time. I love those points. And one of the things that I think about having become a father and to an eight-year-old is, I mentioned a bit earlier, but how much my identity has, has shifted and not. And I think it's important like I love being a dad and I think of myself as a dad and also remembering the non-dad, like, you know, like it's not how I define myself. And I think especially for women, because it biologically changes so much and and it's so much more intense, especially the early years. And when we're relating to remember that version of yourself from before you were a parent in relating with your partner that way. And that's where going on a, a date or if you can, a weekend and really dropping in as the non-parent version of yourself, because we all wear these different identities, right? And I think that the death of of a relationship as it relates to this is, as you say like the domesticity and as a man I feel like it's just like when you become like the soccer dad and you're changing the diapers and that's all beautiful and I, and I love that part of myself but remembering like I don't want to say the more fun but this other version that yeah it's, it's it's more free you know you have the time to have spontaneous sex because there's not a kid in the living room so if that means you you can take one night on the weekend away and do that and remember that part of yourself. I think that's, I just feel like that's so important for us to remember. It's been super valuable in, in my own life. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. 
If you're tuning into today's show, you're probably aware that mental health and relationship challenges are a part of life, but they don't have to define you and you're not alone. If you've ever wished that you could join a conversation with an expert and call into a show in a similar vein as relationship advice, here's an opportunity for you. If you're navigating something messy, call the Dr. John Deloney Show. His show recently hit top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, and for a good reason. With a PhD in counseling and two decades of experience sitting with people, Dr. Deloney brings practical advice on how to connect with others, face depression, overcome anxiety, and find true wellness. This caller-driven show tackles real-life issues from relationships to emotional well-being. Dr. Deloney walks alongside people just like you as they navigate tough decisions. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Send your questions, leave a voicemail at 844-693-3291 or email askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. They want to talk to you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on our website. Do you want to know one of my favorite meals? It's a slice of toasted bread with tomato, mozzarella, basil, olive oil, salt and pepper, and a little drizzle of balsamic glaze. Makes my heart happy. It's so simple. It's so delicious. And I love that all the ingredients get to show off their individual flavors. I used to eat it all the time as my easy go-to meal. And then all of a sudden, there was a ton of messaging out there telling me that I shouldn't eat carbs and that I shouldn't eat bread and that bread is bad. And I hate to admit it, but I cut out bread entirely for the longest time. And it wasn't until recently that I started to understand that not all bread is created equal. Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. They've remade carby, empty-calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no-net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories, plus protein and fiber. I highly recommend that you give their bread a try. They're giving Relationship Advice listeners 10% off when you visit Hero dot co and use the code I do at checkout. I was so excited to discover Hero Bread. It's truly amazing. And they've made a product that is tasty and soft while having zero to one grams of net carbs, zero grams of sugar and high in fiber. I'm not going to lie. Their white bread is so good and it makes the best tomato and mozzarella sandwich. Last week, Stella and I were back in Florida visiting our family and we all walked to the lake and the only bread we had in the house was Hero Bread. So we grabbed a slice, walked to the lake, and by the time we got there, Stella had eaten the whole piece of bread and of course, wanted more. So the poor ducks didn't get any Hero Bread, but Stella did. Since I had cut out bread for a while, every time I ate low-quality bread, my body felt bad. It felt bloated and I didn't feel great. But with Hero Bread, I feel good after eating it, which makes my life so much easier because now I can go back to my easy grab and go sandwiches when I'm on the run. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code I do at checkout. That's I do at H-E-R-O dot C-O. I would add to that that 
I actually define love or an aspect of love in a marriage as each partner trying to free up the other to have individual lives and pursuits with the things that matter to them. So that mutual support to break away from family life and have pursuits that are personally rewarding. That's what I, I mean, that, that's at the heart of uh, 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 some of the arguments I make in my book. That, uh, that's how I define flourishing love. It's a, a mutual happiness project. Not, not the moral religious perspective tends to be one of joint self-sacrifice. I flip that and say, no, we're, we, we are in this to have a reciprocal relationship where, where you, you, you're going to support me in the ways that matter to me, and I'm going to support you in the way that matters to me, if I got that right. I think you're right. But yeah. But yeah. you see that, it's like, you know, like my, ever in my marriage, you know, I'm a writer. And so for years and years and years, I'll go away for a week and I'm, I'm off the grid, and I'm unreachable. And my wife has always supported that, and I've done that any number of times. She'll go away on yoga retreats a week. I support that. She has friends that she goes away with two, three days at a time. So the things that matter to her, we have this bedrock reciprocal support. And I think that that is one way to think of a, a, a loving arrangement. Yeah, that's beautiful. And and yeah, it becomes even more important when you have kids involved, because that's just another thing that's taking up time. And mm -hmm. and uh, if you can go to your wife and be like, hey, you know, I know you've been super busy at home with the kids. Why don't you take the weekend to, to go on that trip you've been talking about with your friends? Like what a beautiful act of love yeah. to, to give your partner and, and how that's going to fill up their cup and, and make your relationship thrive and flourish, as you say. Well, ironically, I often hear, and this is true in my marriage, that when that other partner leaves town, and then returns, it's like, you know, it was so much, my daughter, my son was so much easier to deal with, with you gone. I mean, I, I hear that a lot. And it's like, what's that about? Well, it, it takes away these, so in other words, it can actually be a win-win. I get my alone time and wow, I have a better relationship with my kid because there's not these weird jealousies and competition for attention what Freud called the Oedipal complex, where kids are trying to pit parents against each other and win the attention of one and throw the other one under the bus and s s divide and conquer and all that, you know, kind of underbelly, ugly underbelly of parenting. It's like that just gets shaved right off the, you know, the situation sometimes or oftentimes. I love it. There's so much value in what we're talking about here. And I want to take a little bit of a, a 90 degree turn because I want to get to another topic that that you suggested that I really love. And that is conversational narcissism and this idea that you describe as in conversation, the, the back to me now attitude of of someone you're in conversation with. And this can be with a friend, a colleague romantic partner. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like and how we can navigate it? Yeah. I mean, for people who read my book, 
I, I don't know if you're going to... The book is called Flourishing Love, A Secular Guide to Lasting Intimate Relationships. So in the book, I, I this was during COVID, I interviewed this lead researcher on her research on conversational narcissism. And it was fascinating because, you know, conversational narcissism and by conversational narcissism, it's sort of like, like, like you say, Chase, a, a back to me kind of fun, like having your answers prepared before the other person is even finished, not really paying attention, uh, 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 ignoring, like even being tangential. Like your, your partner sharing something personally meaningful about their day and you kind of being clu- cluelessly changing the subject. Like, did you remember to drop the car off at the garage to get the tires changed? Like, the, is that a tangent from what the other... So there's different ways in which conversational narcissism can play out, but there's high correlations between that and divorce. So the remedy for that, you know, like Simon Veil, the French philosopher, has a famous quote along the lines of attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity, especially in the digital age, social media, the temptation to be on the cell phones, distracted by shiny objects, uh, uh, so the, the ability to like really dial in in a conversation and show true curiosity about the other person's experiences, and they may be just sharing simple things about their day, I actually define that as love at the granular level, especially as we get older, the ability to kind of like really dial in during a conversation, I define as a form of love and an aspect of flourishing love. And and I think this may sound a little sexist, but I, I could give the, or the, the research foundations, especially for women who may have what Deborah Tannen, the sociolinguist, used to call an ori- a stylistic form of communicating that's around rapport, uh, like sh- sharing to feel close, sharing to feel connected, talking, listening, that all of that has great value interactionally for women, maybe more so than men. So men may need to uh, up their game more in terms of like really uh, uh, being careful in conversations to not default to a kind of a masculine model of transactional, logical ways of communicating and tuning in at a logical, concrete level instead of, you know, tuning in at a kind of a, an emotional level where they're really paying attention to underlying feelings and, and you know, e- e- even simple, hmm, yeah, like we're doing right now, Chase, nodding of heads. The, the viewers can't see us nodding our heads at each other, but all the very small, simple ways where you show that you're paying attention have great value, I think, uh, uh, in a loving relationship. I think it's more important than most of us realize and such a, a beautiful point that you're bringing up. And I know I feel loved when 
a friend or a partner is paying attention almost more than anything. And and as you said, especially in the digital world, and it could be as simple as I saw this, it was like a TED talk and the guy is holding his cell phone in his hand. He's not looking at it. He's just holding it and talking. And he invited the audience to just notice how they feel. And then he put it down and he talked. And, and it's very clear watching this video like he cares more about what he's saying and he's giving his attention when the phone is not in his hand. And that's a very actual example of like, how are, is the phone on your kitchen table when you're having family dinner? Put it away because it's sending a subconscious signal of my work, my social media, whatever is more important or as important. And I want to be ready in case anything comes through instead of you have my full attention because you're the most important person right now because you're the one in front of me. And it's little things like that. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. When you work full time, have kids and run a podcast, it's hard to make time for a multiple step skincare protocol. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. Let me repeat it. They make it easy. No complicated routine, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. If you're looking for skincare products that are simple and effective, for a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase when using the code I do when you check out at oneskin.co. I've been using OneSkin's body lotion for about a month and I've already seen noticeable improvements with small wrinkles and textures on my skin, specifically on the back of my neck and the back of my hands, two places where I get a lot of sun. Plus, my skin looks and feels healthier all around. It's all thanks to OneSkin's revolutionary OS-01 peptide, the first ingredient proven to deactivate aging cells responsible for lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. Unlike traditional skincare products that only mask symptoms, OneSkin pioneered a new approach integrating tissue engineering and cutting-edge science to enhance skin biology for lasting resilience against aging. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using the code IDO at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code IDO. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support your show and tell them we sent you. Hey, Love Tribe, I have just a few questions for you. I want to know why you are here listening to the podcast. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner and you want to feel truly heard? Or are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? Or do you just long for those fun, giggly moments of connection that you used to have at the beginning of your relationship? Well, over the last decade of hosting this podcast, those were the main reasons people tuned into the show. And we get it. We've been there. So we created our course, Spark My Relationship, because we wanted to put those tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. 
We're offering $100 off our course, Spark My Relationship, which is a self-paced course designed to help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner and have an amazing time doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. So to unlock this special offer of our course, our listeners can visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock to get $100 off. That's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. I think it's one of the reasons why there's a great demand for therapy in the country right now. Imagine, I mean, every day of the week I'm in my office and when I see new clients, just kind of the opening line, like, what brings you here? What's on your mind? And, you know, I've been at this for 30, 40 years doing therapy. And actually these days, just asking an open-ended question and and showing true, deep, genuine curiosity for someone's inner life and inner experiences, the exuberance that clients often manifest at that, it's telling. I mean, I think it reflects about how, you know, there's this great joke about, wow, you know, we shouldn't be talking about the epidemic of attention deficit disorder. We should be talking about the epidemic and deficit and attention disorder. Like we we have an epidemic and just not really paying attention to each other. And when that trickles down into a marriage, it, it, it can be deeply problematic. A hundred percent. And one of the other things that's related to this that I, I love to mention is paying attention to the small bits for connection, because that's related to this. And I just saw this example of a partner will share Hey, honey, you know, I had lunch today with an old high school friend. Uh, it was it was really nice. And what that is, is it's a bid for connection. It's not that they necessarily want to tell you exactly what was going on with with that old friend from high school. It's they want you to be like, oh, wow, that that's super cool. Tell me more about it. What what went on? And that's how we relate. But when our attention is spread or when we just don't have awareness or when we try to make it about ourselves. Oh yeah, I had, I had lunch with a friend or I'm going to, you know, it's like, no, they, they want to connect with you and yeah, it's important to pay attention. I, I think it's an act of love to remember the things that matter to your part, partner and to ask questions that are kind of a uh, uh, tap those things like, you know, Hey, whatever happened to, your friend Mary, I remember last week you told me that she, you know, she had that health concern. What came of that? So to, to so you know, to be able to remember, remember and follow up. I mean, that you know, just just in targeted, attuned kind of ways. I think that's the opposite of conversational narcissism. Yeah, and it's interesting. I notice in myself, I really try to make an effort to do that with my partner, friends, family of remembering. And I think it's because it it comes somewhat naturally, but I think it's because I like it so much for myself. And, you know, often we we give what we we desire to receive. And it's interesting like that, how much when I pay attention to it, 
And it feels good to give. You know, I love getting a gift. I have this thing where like someone will mention like, oh, I've been wanting to read that book or like something like that. And it's really easy for me to remember. I'll be like, boom, that's your, you know, Christmas present. I got, you know, I made a note of it. And I I love doing that. And I love feeling that. And it's such a a beautiful and simple thing, but you got to pay attention. But that, that tells me, Chase, that you, you, you're you well aware of the reciprocal nature of love, which is what I write a lot about in my book, that you get what you give and you give what you get, that it's there's always this balancing out. It's, it's not about joint self-sacrifice and what if I, you know, keeping score along the lines of all the hard work that I've put in that you haven't. That, that that model, which I think is a, a, a tied to agape love and the moral religious tradition, I, 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 there's an alternative model that I write about in my book, and it's exactly what you just said there, Chase. It's like you, 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 you there's all, and there's where guilt. We were going to talk about guilt. Guilt can be a healthy emotion. It, it can signal you that, oh my God, I'm I'm not giving as much as I'm getting. I need to pay attention to that guilt. My partner has been generous in the ways that I'm, I need him or her or them to be generous. And I kind of need to step up because I, I, I'm getting more than I'm giving. And, and I think that's, that's healthy to pay attention to that kind of guilt. I love it. And I got to read your book because I love these themes and I'm thinking of a return to love. And a big theme that I got from that book was what we're talking about. Give what you want to receive. And often we wait, we wait for the friend to invite us for lunch because it takes vulnerability and courage Mm -hmm. to extend ourselves to our partner and say, you know, I'm going to reach out. And even though I, I feel more comfortable just waiting and we may be met with disappointment, but it's like, you know, it's better to have loved than to never have loved at all in, on, a, on a micro level and macro. And so I would encourage people to, if you want to connect with your partner more, if you want more love in your relationship, don't wait for them to, to take action. And that's kind of the, the beauty of this or a friendship or a family member is that we can control our destiny to a point. We can't control others, but certainly if we want something to flourish, it starts with us, our own work and extending ourselves and doing it over and over. Obviously, there's a point where there's toxic traits, whatever. We we mm-hmm. have to assess those situations. But but really, I found it super valuable and enriching in, in all my relationships in, in my life to try to be courageous and, and put myself out there over and over. Yeah. And then to see how there's a reciprocal kind of dimension of it. I mean, here's an example. Like my father-in-law passed away about two or three years ago. And I had a, you know, in the last two or three years of his life, I was very involved in kind of taking care of him and being a good friend to him in ways that maybe my wife couldn't be because of their history together. So I stepped in and she was deeply appreciative of me doing that. And he died. And now my mother is in her 90s. And, you know, I have a difficult relationship with my mother. And of her own accord, my wife has totally stepped up spontaneously, desirously, intentionally, and wanting to be a good daughter-in-law to my, to my mother in her final whatever weeks, months, years of her own accord. And that the re- reciprocal nature of that 
is deeply registered for me as a as a, as a form of love, a form of loyalty, a form of deep reciprocal appreciation, and it's those themes that I want to bring back to marriage, which is why I wrote the book to take a look at. You know, marriage is in decline right now. A lot of people are cynical about marriage in our culture. I mean, fewer than twenty percent of U.S. adults right now believe that uh, marriage is essential for a fulfilling life. There's a lot of marital cynicism right now. And in my book, I write about how I think that that's because it, there's too much more religious baggage attached to marriage. And I think we need to get away from that and try to think in secular ways about marriage along the lines that we've been talking about this morning in terms of reciprocity and mutual happiness and a concern for that and from a place of desire, not moral duty because you want to be the best loving version of yourself and you want to bring out the best loving version of your partner from a place of once again, desire, not, not moral duty. And we need more of these ideas, I think in the culture right now to kind of revive and resuscitate marriage. I love that. And I think we've taken a nice step today of putting those ideas out into the world through our listeners on this podcast. So Thank you so much, Enrico, for for covering these topics and for for continuing to to put this information out into the world. Um, before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online, and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, just Google my name. It's a difficult one, Enrico, which is Italian for Henry E N R I C O, and then Naulati. Last name is spelled G N A U L A T I. I have a website and you you can access me that way. And thank you so much, Chase. You've been such a gracious host. It's, it's, it's been so easy to chat. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. We'll have those links in our show notes and on our website. And yeah, thanks again for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. As always, all the links to the guest as well as any of their recommendations will be in the show notes page. You can find the link to that in the episode description or by going to idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab up at the top and you will have access to all the episodes that we've ever done. There are over 300 of them. Uh, And while you're on our website, if you haven't checked out our free 14-day happy couple challenge... We really hope you do. It's a free email challenge that we send to you. It's 14 days of fun, easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And if you're looking for something that provides a little more help with working on your relationship, whether it's improving intimacy or communication with your partner or just bringing the spark back, we would love for you guys to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. We're offering $100 off to all of our listeners if you go to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. We've worked with over 15 psychologists and therapists to create the real life tools and strategies that they are teaching their clients. So we wanted to give them to you. It's a self-paced online course that can be done in as little as a month or up to three months. You can really decide how much or how little you want to do with your partner or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day.
You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.